The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Please stand as we read what really is a very glorious lesson. Our, our sermon this morning is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is God's Word. Please be seated. Please pray with me. Spirit, transfigure us today. Move us from glory to glory by the power of Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I have an admission that I have to make to you. Maybe a truth. This is what we just read. One of the most difficult passages, perhaps, in all of Holy Scripture. One, one commentator said this about 2 Corinthians chapter 3 here. This is Paul's most elusive homily. In other words, elusive, elusive because whenever you think you can sort of put your arms around it, it gets away. Another, another commentator, another scholar wrote that, that this is Paul's Sphinx. You know, because what is a sphinx? 
You've seen the pictures of it. Is it a cat? Is it a man? Is it a cat man? And if it's a cat man, what does it mean? Nobody knows. Another, another scholar actually called that this, this text that this is, this is the Mount Everest of all of Paul, right here. And it's a Mount Everest because it's so difficult to summit, but also because it's so treacherous. I thought about it as I wrestled with it for you during the week. It was like, it was like a slippery pig. You know, you got to imagine yourself maybe in the middle of South Dakota and you're trying to catch this slippery pig and the moment you try to put your arms around it and you squeeze down, it just, you know, oinks itself away. <laughs> what is it? Nobody knows. It's a difficult text. And that's why, that's why this morning, I'm not going to hope to summit Mount Everest with you here this morning. All I want to do is one thing. I want to look at just one verse. Just one verse. And believe it or not, I think I can talk for at least 20 minutes on one verse. I want to look with you at verse 18. And if you have it up on the screen, that's awesome. If you're at home, pull out your Bibles. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. If you're here with us here today, you can just open up your sheets. And I want to tell you why I want to look at verse 18 with you. I'm going to give you two solid reasons. The first reason is because here, Paul rhetorically puts his arm around all of us. And he sweeps us into what he's going to say next. For the first time in the whole lesson, he says, this is for all of you. Look at how inclusive, you might say, his language is. He says, we all. In other words, not any of you are left out of what he's going to say next. That's my first reason that we want to look at verse 18. But the second reason is this. Paul gives to each one of us, all of us, we all, the promise of personal transfiguration. And don't you want that? Don't you want that here this morning? I mean... Don't you want to, to love like Jesus loved? Truly sacrificially. Don't you want to have a faith that even when you're hanging on the cross, you would say, but Father, I know, I know that you will rescue me from this too. A faith like that. Don't you want to have this, this beating hope in your heart that no matter what the present circumstances you are under, you know, you know, you know it that in the future God's going to do something for you. Personal transfiguration. You want that, right? I do too. And that's why this morning I want to just take this one verse, verse 18, and I want to look at it in two ways. We're going to uncover this morning personal transfiguration. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to define it. What is it? What is personal transfiguration? And then second of all, how does it come to you? We're going to do that all on the basis of verse 18. Let's start, in, let's start together and look at, look at what it is. What is personal transfiguration? i got to tell you this. is a very simple idea. Transfiguration 
is complete transformation personal from the inside out so that so that we are made into the image of Jesus it's that simple it's complete transformation from the inside out now if we want to understand what transformation is we got it four transfiguration is it's four times in the bible this word is used four times in the bible once here in 2 Corinthians, twice when it describes Jesus' transfiguration, we read about it in the Gospel lesson, on the mountain, once in Romans. So if we truly want to understand what transfiguration is and define it, we have to look at Jesus. A man named Frederick Bruner said this about Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. He said, what Jesus was within was once made visible without. In other words, what Jesus was from, from all eternity for just a moment, we could glimpse it up on that mountain. All of His deity shone out in that moment. The Father's only begotten Son from all eternity who is pure love showed Himself out to the world and it was glorious. From the inside out. One of the great poets of our day actually wrote this. His name is Malcolm Geet. He said that in that moment when Jesus was transfigured, he said, the love that dances at the heart of all things shone out from a human face. The love that dances at the heart of all things shone out. This is transfiguration. That from, from the inside out, we begin to, to love like He loved. That from the inside out, we begin to trust like He trusted that, that from the inside out we begin to hope like He hoped it. Hope. This is what defines transfiguration. And this is opposed to what I'm going to call disfiguration. This would be the opposite of transfiguration. Disfiguration. Jesus talked about this a little bit throughout the Gospels. He would say what is in the heart Lust, evil, anger. This is what so often comes out, isn't it? In our behavior. So that we're disfigured. We're made more in the image of Adam than of Jesus. Disfiguration. One of the ways that, that this is often illustrated I, I, is by children's stories. One of the great Christian apologists of, of the day was a man named C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a series of children's books, and one of my favorite books in that series is called The Voyage of the Don Treader. It's actually a movie, The Voyage of the Don Treader. And, and in the book, there's this nasty little kid named Eustace. Maybe some of you have read about Eustace before. He is just nasty. He's mean. He's abusive to the other little kids. Eustace in the middle of the book, goes to an enchanted valley. 
and he finds riches beyond belief. And then C.S. Lewis talks about his disfiguration. It's a line that will stun you and jolt you if you let it. He said this, Sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. Somebody's getting directions here. Elaine's on her way somewhere else. (laughs) In other words, we bring, instead of the glory of Jesus by the power of the Spirit out of our hearts, we bring our sin into the world. We bring our anger. We bring our, our, our words and our lust. And this is what we call disfiguration. Instead of the love that dances at the heart of all things. Maybe you're starting to get it. I think at least we've, we've defined it now, right? That transfiguration is, is by the power of the Spirit we bring out of ourselves and we become more and more made in the image of Jesus. Now I want to I talk about then maybe our most important point for the day then is how does this happen? How does this happen? You've got to look at verse 18 with me. It comes, the Apostle Paul says, whenever you contemplate the Lord's glory. Listen to our verse. Paul says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transfigured into His image with ever-increasing glory. So this is what he's saying. He's saying whenever we see Jesus, His glory, whenever we contemplate it, Whenever we view it, and I'm trying to bring out all the seeing words that I can, all the optics of it all, that's when we're being transfigured. That's when we're being transformed. In other words, he says, you've got to see Jesus. If you want to change, or if you want someone in your life to change, you've got to see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? Yesterday, yesterday I sent out this chalk drawing. Maybe some of you saw it. Matthias Grunewald drew it or sketched it. And it's got one of the apostles just going like this at the transfiguration of Jesus. Have you ever had an experience like that where there's such sensorial overload that the only thing that you can do is a face plant. Like, like it's got to be greater than the sun because the sun, all you got to do is kind of close your eyes or look away. But this glory was so great that all that the apostles could do was literally face plant because the glory was too much. I want you to see that this morning. And I want you to see it because then if you see it, you're going to know better just who it is who died for you. The eternal God. The only begotten of the Father came down from heaven 
and He died for you. He loved you that much. I want you to see Him because I want you to see in Jesus' life just how much He loved Valentine's Day. We could do some Valentine's Day stuff. I'm not going to do too much about it. But isn't Valentine's Day the wrong kind of love? Like sexual love or romantic love or something like that? The love that we talk about in the church is so much deeper. It's a love that says, even though you're my enemy, I'll die for you. Sacrificial love. This is Jesus' love for you, but let's not stop there. Think about His faith. Even when He was dying on the cross, the worst possible circumstances that a human being could be in, He knew that His Father would rescue Him. He had the expectation of glory. I mean, faith, hope, and love. Do you see it? I want you to see it. Because when you see it, that's when transfiguration is gifted to you. That's when your love rises up. That's when your faith rises up. And that's when your hope rises up. When you see it in Him. I had, I, had, I had this personal, I don't know, aha moment with this not too long ago. The truth that only the Gospel changes people. I had a moment where this couple called me up from another church. Sometimes, for some reason, people feel more comfortable talking with me than with their own pastor. And, and I said, well, you better tell your pastor that you're doing this but fine, we can talk. And apparently, apparently they had used the D word to each other. You know the word divorce? And so we started talking about that. And I remember discovering with them, I said, do you, either of you have biblical grounds for divorce? And they said, no. And he said, well, then you might want to listen to the prophet Micah because the prophet Micah says, that God hates divorce, how could you do this? And, and neither one of them was going to budge. You know, We're doing it, Pastor. We're getting a divorce. And I was like trying to do anything to convince them not to go against God's will. And then it hit me. It hit me. The law which condemns doesn't change people. So you know what I did? I started to talk about Jesus. And I said to this husband and wife, I said, and it was like a pin drop in there. I said, do you know how much your Savior loves you? Do you know how deeply, you know, truly deeply He loves you? He hung on the cross for you. And I said, you know, your Savior loves you well enough and He's poured the Spirit out into your life so abundantly that He calls you now to love each other just as you have already been loved. How could you do this to this man who loves you like that? And you know what happened in that moment? Two people who are like, a moment before we're on this freight train headed for divorce, changed. 
just like that. You're right, Pastor. We have been loved like that. We're not going to get a divorce. Now, I, I, I'm not a Pentecost. I'm really not. I, but you know what happened right in that moment? By the power of the Gospel? By seeing Jesus? Transfiguration. Personal transfiguration. This is how it comes. We need to see Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I, one more story, and I want to draw a couple of applications out of this for you here today. I saw this, this Facebook video. It was one, you know, one of those on this, you know, the Facebook video feed that comes out, and there was this Canadian wild horse. Maybe you saw this video too. And this Canadian wild horse up in one of the provinces up there was stuck in the mud. I mean, it was sad to see. He had fallen into like this mud hole and, and for a while he had struggled, but it was cold and the poor horse was shivering. And every time he struggled, it would just get worse. Like he'd go deeper into the mud. This Canadian couple comes along and they gently calm the horse down and they put the ropes around the horse. And gently, ever so gently, they tug the horse to safety. And I think there's a truth in there for us. Sometimes I think, and this is usually what happens, when we want to change, we say this to ourselves, i got to try harder. But you know what that's like? That's like that horse that's flailing around only making the mess worse. You want to know what we need to do instead? We need to see Jesus. We need to put our eyes on Him and say, Jesus, I'm only making things worse here. You see that, right? I need You to pull me out of the mud. I need You to save me. I need You to transfigure me. And then we need to just bask in that and say, thank You, God, that You're going to make me just like You. You see my point? Transfiguration doesn't come by trying harder. That's when things get worse. Transfiguration comes when we see Jesus. That's what Paul says. Now, I can tell you this. We, at some point in the future, we're going to have to come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We got to. <laughs> we got to talk about the veil. We got to talk about the dullness of the mind. We got to talk about the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives. We got to come back to these verses and, and we got to try to summit them like this Mount Everest that it is. But I think it's enough for today on Transfiguration Sunday. It's enough for today that we re remember these two truths about personal transfiguration. One, what it is. Now we know what it is. It's changed from the inside out to reflect more of who Jesus is. And how it comes. Basking in the glory of Jesus and seeing only Him. Amen.